I'm Karen Dumain, the professional lead for Duo-D. Before my co-lead, Paul Taylor-Pitt, left, we recorded this fabulous podcast series talking to world leaders and experts in OD. The Duo-D podcast is brought to you by NHS Employers in partnership with NHS England. I'm Karen Dumain. And I'm Paul Taylor-Pitt. Welcome to episode four of Doing OD in the NHS, The Power of Possibility, a podcast series from Do-OD. In episode three, we were joined by Mi Yan Chan Judge and Linda Holbeck for a discussion on the past, present and future of OD. Today, we're delighted to be joined by Vilma Nicolaidou from University of the Arts London. Vilma is a familiar voice to Do-OD. You can check out the podcast that we recorded together when Vilma was at Tate Galleries. Vilma's now in the higher education sector, And we talk about doing OD against a backdrop of hybrid working, growing inequality and short-term thinking. Vilma talks about how we can hold the tension between complexity and simplicity when we all have very little headspace and how being in service of others is key to the future of OD in our ever-changing workplaces. I'm Vilma Nikolaidou. I'm an Associate Director of Human Resources, uh, brackets, people strategy. Um, Outside brackets, this means organizational development, uh, engagement and equality, diversity and inclusion, plus some other stuff that that comes under under all of that. I work for the University of the Arts London, um, the world's number two university for art and design and some of the world's uh, most famous artists and designers and practitioners uh, are our alumni. Who are some of the most well-known graduates? I I do like a bit of fashion, so I'll start with Alexander McQueen and John Galliano and Stella McCartney, Roxanda, Mary Catrangio, so loads of people in in the fashion world just now and particularly a, a very exciting sort of young generation of designers uh, coming out now and sort of breaking the barriers of kind of, you know, men's fashion, women's fashion. And does that attract a certain kind of person who wants to come and either work there or study there? It attracts um, creative people from across the world. So we're a truly global um, institution. Um and it attracts um, a lot of people who perhaps sort of the, the traditional, particularly the UK education system, um, isn't always very kind to uh, because it favours sort of uh, very academic subjects. And we've seen, sadly, over the years, kind of a, an erosion of the arts and design curriculum um, in secondary education. Um yeah, a, a huge, huge contributor to um, what we call sort of creative industries and creative output of the country, um, for which a, a, any chancellor of the Exchequer, wherever they go in the world to build in a trade partnership, um, they always have either a museum director with them or a theatre director or a dance person because because of the UK standing in, in in art and design. There's so many themes there or similarities, I guess, with the NHS. You know, the NHS is seen as such a, 
a, a prized institution that's talked about all around the world. I mean, what in terms of the the university sector is there a focus there for you around? staff well-being and staff experience is that high on your list it, it is top of my list um, n- not least because student welfare and well-being is very high um, in in the government list and the department for education list and the office for student list um, and this has come from sort of about a, num- a number of ways so, so on the face of it this is absolutely how it should be um, Young people uh, and young people through the pandemic have have suffered a lot, but but there was a, a crisis um, before that. But uh, th- there is a, a big focus around universities um, leaning in quite heavily on the well-being provision uh, and making sure that um, the uh, th- that that students are sort of well catered for um, and well cared for by, by the institution and and one of the sort of big shifts I've seen not not as much as I'd like to it to be a, a reality yet but this idea that you can't really have student well-being without also investing and and talking in the same breath about staff well-being that i mean that resonates so much because we we often talk about happy staff happy patients and that staff well-being and staff experience correlates with patient experience and patient well-being i didn't realize there were so many direct parallels there what we found ourselves um having to do in universities is uh, work very fast uh, to upskill ourselves, to upskill our academics, our student support teams, um, and everybody else around both understanding of mental health and well-being, um, dealing with crisis, um, and and supporting, supporting students um, through that. Um, and a lot of investment has gone to that, uh, not you know again it doesn't it doesn't fill all the gaps um but uh, big big asks from the frontline university staff to play a big role in this in this space that that really resonates um, that um going up the agenda for the health and well-being um through covid and do you think that that will stay now then Vilma? do you think there'll still be that emphasis on health and well-being as, and recognising its value overall, not just through COVID, but now post-COVID? I think the old, the old world uh, sleeps in um, sometimes and, uh, and sometimes you see it in sort of conversations and sometimes you see it in sort of corporate messaging. And 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 I think we must guard against this, uh, and we must treasure some of the gains and some of the understandings that the the pandemic um, has has brought to the forefront, particularly around um, safety, uh, physical and psychological, particularly around well being, mental health. Uh, so I think I think it's definitely here to stay. Um, but I don't think the old order is completely gone. I think that resonates with the NHS because we through the first wave of COVID, the DOAD, we did some learning. Obviously, we were supporting our community and we did a whole learning inquiry about, you know, what did we learn through COVID as OD practitioners in the NHS? What were some of the 
things that you know are really positive and some of the things that were not so and uh, we saw a real shift in collaboration and partnership working that real focus on in health and well-being and inclusion and that sense of Absolutely. belonging um, but what's happened is that some of that in the NHS, of course, we're not out of COVID at the moment, um, and that some of that has gone back. You know, so we've learned some lessons, but not all. And I just wondered, um, were that what are the other priorities for you then within the university? I'm assuming that because you said, you know, around inclusion and engagement as well as but high on that priority for your work. Um, yes, absolutely, and of course, the, the what happened du- during the pandemic was the um, the, the the whole kind of uh, explosion of the of the um, anti-racism agenda and Black Lives Matter, uh, something which you know the university sector responded to in a in sort of in a variety of ways like the rest of the world uh from sort of big pronouncements to here's some actions to here are some plans to um we've got champions you know we we we, we will do all of this so um universities have been working on this agenda like the NHS for for, for many many years um but the university, my university and other universities were confronted with some very, very uncomfortable truths and realities, uh, particularly around, you know, the sense of kind of exclusion, discrimination, harassment that colleagues of colour particularly suffered um, all these years. Um the number of black professors in the UK is minuscule uh, in relation to the professorial um, w- workforce, uh, and that's just one metric. Um, the, the the sense of belonging in academia and and making it in academia uh, has for a long time been been a white person's um, game. And when we say we're inclusive, and when we say we're anti-racist, what does it actually mean? A, a lot around uh, the, the kind of relationship, the, the line management and leadership terrain, uh, particularly around the, the role of the line manager. Again, in HR parlance, this this would be creating better line managers, for, for, for which I'm very passionate about because we know that particularly on well-being, this is one of the main things that, that make a difference. Um, and this idea of kind of how do you balance self-care and community care, uh, our community is very, very sensitive around the promotion of individualistic self-care um, and well-being ideas, um, and uh, and and therefore we had to work very hard and very carefully around positioning this. <laughs> what I find is amazing is if we introduced you in the podcast by saying. We're delighted to be joined by Vilma. Vilma works in an organisation that's struggling with a number of issues. There's not good enough representation of people of colour in senior influential positions. There's a focus on well-being of staff because well-being of staff makes such a difference to well-being of the people who use the services. There's issues around flexibility, flexible working. We could then finish that with and you work for any NHS organisation. <laughs> and, and so there's so many overlaps, but I'm also wondering for you what you think might be some of the the difference. Like where, and it'll be interesting to see if it is a difference. Like what do you think for you are some of the, the specific things in the university world that are in your OD um, atmosphere? 
I fear that I'll say this and I'll say it, it, it probably is similar to the NHS. <laughs> I'll try it anyway, but there is, you know, there's a model of higher education that has been adopted in this country um, with the introduction of fees and the, uh, the, the, the sort of consumer customer model um, a, a, against the backdrop of kind of, you know, hundreds of years of free higher education um for, for, for the world, uh, this has undoubtedly opened up access. So more people go to university. We know that it's about 50% uh, of school leavers. Um, and and that's wonderful. Uh, and the country benefits from that. Um, the, the emphasis is very much on the student experience, um, on student outcomes or student employability, uh, so it's 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 uh, it, it's a model that requires the university to operate a lot more uh, like a business, and uh, and that stretches the workforce in ways that traditionally uh, the workforce wasn't wasn't stretched. Um, that that you are there to. To serve the whole student experience, uh, rather than the learning of the student only, uh, and that student experience is defined um, in in loads of ways. And more targets are coming back. I was just listening to the radio this morning. Um, the government is consulting on a series of targets uh, for every course. You know, the eighty percent of people should pass, and uh, however much percentage should go on to further studies and how many should be in professional jobs after a while. So, so it's quite a, a, a heavily monitored sector. Um, it's, it's, a, it's, a, it's a massive culture shift. I'm new to higher education, as in this is, this is my first role. Um, and uh, I, I did a couple, you know, I, I have a master's in higher education in this country, but not a first degree. So I haven't really been sort of the higher education system in, in this country other than this this one year. And um, the, the, the difference must be, and it is so significant against the history of, of you know, provision of education as opposed to sort of this wider uh, area around like I said, student experience, student employability, um, which are all marvelous stuff and stuff that should be there. Um, uh, but but it stretches the workforce and the the demands of the workforce in ways that uh, you need very good and strong OD people to support. How is OD um, perceived in your organisation? You know, like, where do you sit? Is it, like, do people recognise, do you talk about OD? Or is it different lang- language and narrative? Um when I arrived, it was it was established, and people knew about it, and and often it meant staff development. Um, but but it it has people understand its value, and people understand um, you know what 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 it does broadly. Um, the OD community in the higher education sector is uh, is a very good, strong, supportive community. Uh, but but in a market-led model, you've got universities that are sort of very, very different from sort of your Oxfords and Cambridges and the Russell Group to sort of post-92 
ex-polytechnics um, and, and everything in between. So the model that we deliver is, is, is quite different. And is that a model of competition or collaboration? So, so it's interesting because clearly universities compete for students and uh, and many universities compete in the same market uh, and in the same international market. Um, so I, I, I would say um, there are a lot. There is a lot of collaboration uh, in research, in in teaching, in in the management functions uh, as well. Um, but but the, but but it is also very much about you know the star individual, the star practitioner. When I started, I, I named all our famous alumni, and that's <laughs> kind of that 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 is that model is still there. Um, and and despite the technology changes, and it's interesting to see what's going to happen post-pandemic, I always say that the main model of education hasn't changed for about 500 years. You know, when the monks got people together to teach them in Bologna, I think is where sort of higher education started in, in Europe, um, you know, more or less the the model of the student coming in in a physical environment with other students to be taught by an expert is still the model. Um, and and the pandemic has, you know, forced us to teach more online. Um, and, and obviously some of this was happening before and people get degrees by correspondence, you know, for years now. But, but, but the main model hasn't, hasn't changed. Uh, so the, the workforce, I would imagine, was always used in a particular bricks and mortar sort of way. There's so many parallels. We've, during the first wave of the pandemic, we were hearing from a colleague of ours who was talking about how they'd spent so long in the past trying to in- encourage, you know, prompt um, uh, clinical staff to do online consultations. And there was lots of resistance to that because they wanted to see people face to face, that traditional model of, you know, I turn up to my GP, we sit, we have our seven minutes together. And then the pandemic changed it overnight. There was no choice. And so they had to move into virtual consultations and they've now become the norm almost. And yet we see, you know, particularly in the media, lots of calls for, you know, get GPs back, seeing you face to face. So that core model of of service delivery is still, there's still a pull back to that, despite actually for some people, we've heard such positive stories of, you know, actually access is much easier I can get an appointment more easily. I don't have to travel. So there's this tension between the, the kind of the, the current, you know, this new way of working in a virtual space versus the traditional space. And do you think, like in the university, is there an intention that you will one day go back? Um, th- there is, I think, more and more we're looking at sort of hybrid models. Uh, but But I do think... A little bit like with the doctor. I think, I think if you'd ask the doctors, they, they won't say they're working any less hard um, with their online consultations. And and our academics and our teachers say exactly the same. In fact, the online model or a hybrid model um, 
can be more resource intensive uh, and not least because technology isn't always as as reliable as you want it to be um and and a number of other things that you have to take into account when you teach on you or you treat people remotely um so it's it's not easier it's not uh, for, for the person doing it and that kind of links with the conversation we had about workforce challenges earlier um is it here to stay i think yes um but but the power of the building and the bringing people in campus as an experience i'm sure you had that experience at some point in your life and 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 you know it's some of the things that people hold very dearly will also remain have you adapted your ad to reflect that the change in technology and how you do ad yeah we we did a whole pivot on both kind of our all our facilitation and you know and how you do online facilitation uh, of anything from action learning sets to um, explorations sessions or appreciative inquiry sessions um, all our staff development programs um, our well-being offer so we worked very hard and we were quite ahead of the game we had digital function within our OD team and we had capabilities already so we we were able to pivot quite quite successfully um, and we found really interesting things about participation rates about inclusivity about who gets to speak uh, and who remains silent uh, what happens when people have their cameras off um, a, a whole lot of kind of really interesting, so far anecdotal observations, but I'm hoping some good research is is coming out of all of that. And we're really lucky that we've we've known you as a friend of DoD for a number of years. So when you look back to the things that have changed between then and now, do you feel like things are more complex? Do you think? I know that that's such a leading question, but maybe what's your relationship to complexity in your work? Everywhere I worked, I would say the word complexity or complex is one of the most overused words. Uh, and therefore, everything feels complex, everything is complex, um, and some things really are. And one of the things that I don't think have changed in OD over the years is this tension between kind of holding that complexity and working through it rather than trying to sort of sideline it or simplify it very quickly because you are asked for sort of quick solutions and low-hanging fruit and all of that, which we're very well versed in, in, in providing. But where the complexity is coming, if, which is interesting for me, is that the workforce and particularly the younger workforce that's coming through, but also people sort of mid-career, if you, if you like, like, like me, are sort of hyper aware of what work should be like, what it should be giving us, why we shouldn't settle for certain things. Um, so, and I think that's a good thing, but it's a challenge as well. 
It so resonates, doesn't it? That that's the ongoing theme, I think, through for AD, going back to what you were saying around that challenge of complexity and people being able to sit with that complexity and work through it rather than that quick solution, that quick win. And I think a lot of our OD folk feel that they sometimes are under pressure to offer that. And part of the challenge is to hold that space and really push back. Does that resonate with you, Wilmer, as well? Totally. And and there's a huge sense in me and I dare say in other, other OD colleagues around sort of helping you know, mm-hmm. helping is good. You know, we're all you. You are in a helping industry. Um, uh, OD came from sort of uh, uh, s- some of that. So, so, so this idea of kind of solving and helping is is very strong. Um, so, but but the damage that you can do by simplifying complex issues and try to solve them with 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 um, easy solutions is 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 big and therefore we you know I always try to sort of to balance that. Having said that, I I always hold in mind this sort of the visual of the broken locker. Um and this isn't a little bit like it's maybe some people will recognize the sort of you know New York broken window thing. And and that's not what I'm I'm driving at. But um I, at Tate, we did a, a whole piece of work for years and years around improving how our front of house staff sort of feel and engage and feel more included and feel more proud about what they do. Uh, they were the uniform staff that are kind of in the hierarchical order. They're sort of at the bottom of the organization. And uh, we did a lot of kind of really um, sophisticated sort of OD work um, and then you know in some workshop uh, what it emerged was that you know if we fix the broken lockers where people leave their uniforms at the end of the day this could actually go a long way yes. um, and and therefore the, the broken locker thing has, has stayed with me um, because I, I sort of I wouldn't have started there in my naivety uh, I never had to wear a uniform naivety um and and i never had you know my day wasn't depending on whether you know the lock would 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 turn and somebody else left something next door that was me and and all of that so it was uh i hold that tension between complexity and sometimes the simple solution that people tell you you should do this and this is probably the difference not not the simple solution that you'll you think will work but if people tell you that this simple solution will help then maybe we should listen yeah it's that rule of engagement isn't it like talk to collaboration talk to people about where they are and what they need and sometimes that's just part of a bigger picture though isn't it so that locker would have been that first connecting piece that would have started fixing that locker would have then unraveled and also you gain people's trust don't you as well which is so important in organizations there's so much resonance. We've been through the complexity of a pandemic, which still is showing up in so many different ways. And one of the key things that we learned, I think, hopefully, quite quickly, was just simplify our offer. Simplify our offer to the community. Keep it easy. Don't add any burden. Don't add anything that they can't already deal with with incredibly full brains. And what we were picking up in the community conversations and still now is 
attention from leaders and organizations who are saying, we just need those OD programs back up and running, you know, do the management development stuff, do the workshops and frontline staff who are saying, but I don't have time to stop for a drink of water. Yeah. Hot food, please. Yeah. And that is our equivalent of the broken locker. People saying, I haven't got time to go to the toilet. And so how we match the pace of the system, how we meet them where they are, and maybe have to hold some of our, I don't know, ambition, ego, whatever it is in check that says, oh, we are really, this course is really important. Because actually for someone who hasn't had a break to go to the toilet or have a drink, it's not important. And ROD people talk about it like going back to basics. So, you know mm. what, and I think that means that basic of supporting our staff mm. where they are, what they need, which I think is a really good way of framing it. If this is what your people are saying in the kind of call phase of all of this, um, it, it's such a great lesson f- f- for us as well. Um, this idea that, it, you know, there's very little headspace left in in most of us um so us being in the service of 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 others is uh, is what people need right now um i i always i always took not exception but but you know on the kind of event type of od with the one off event to create buzz about something um there's there's lots of employers that do this, and when I see it popping up in LinkedIn, I love it. I was just like, oh, you do this as well, and you do World Mental Health Day and Menopause Day and Infertility Day and and all of that. And uh, and part of me also says, okay, w- what are you not doing when you're doing all, all of this? And I, I sort of wanted to bring OD at a kind of uh, at a level of sort of more more long term, more kind of thinking and design. Um, and then uh, uh, we 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 had a lot of kind of you know talk in the system. Particularly, this is an example about menopause. And somebody in my team said, "Look, I, I think we should do we should do an event." And I didn't think about it too much. And I thought it probably sounds good. And we had some budget. Um, and I cannot tell you the degree. We had 120 people turning up. Uh, online, uh, it's the biggest event we've ever we've ever run. The chat on the side was on fire. Um, such a community was created within the space of one hour. Uh, that again was a kind of a great lesson for me on kind of doing the just in time the the event the the one off. This isn't going to be a one off as it happens, but but that sense of yeah, being agile enough mm-hmm. to offer different things. And also the technology allowed it, didn't it? I mean, that joining, because it was that's what we found, that people can join quicker, they haven't got to travel. Suddenly you've got a, a really captive audience yeah. as yeah. well. I, I love this. I love that we're sort of, uh, you know, able to be in our homes right now and do this. And But I think that mixed model, that hybrid model, is it, it has allowed me to access so much more uh, as, a, as a practitioner, as a parent, as a patient uh, that I, I don't want to go back. 
And I know we're running out of time, but I really want to ask you, you know, but you know, because one of the things I took away from our tape travel was that real, um, it really opened my mind to looking at a picture and really thinking, what, what does that tell me? Looking at the colours, looking at the depth. It was such a vivid experience for me and it really helped me in my OD work. And I just, I'm wondering what picture are you painting about your work at the moment or the future of work? I, do you know, and I wish I said this in the beginning, one of the most famous UAL um, alumni is Lubaina Himid, um, who is exhibiting as we speak at Tate Modern. And if I if I held a picture, I would I would hold one of her pictures. I used her pictures um, in my interview for, for UAL to, to impress them that I knew of of, of art and, <laughs> and, and the artist. Um, her images. Um, so she's um, uh, she, she's older as as an artist. Um, she's been around uh, creating art for a very long time, and that's her first big exhibition at the Tate. She's black and a black woman, and that that says a lot about the state of the art. And her pictures are full of color and joy. There's people dancing. There's people traveling. Um, so. So she she and her work and those colours and the joy are, are very much the picture I have in my mind, just as you asked the question, uh, Karen. Um, and, of course, it's a picture of pain as well because, you know, uh, she shows bodies that have suffered and they have suffered discrimination and persecution and um, and and stories of real hardship, uh, racism, exclusion, um, and 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 how these two things play out, and you are left with this kind of um, holding both kind of the pain and the joy is is such a good metaphor i think for me right now uh, and i'm so glad that i remembered her because yeah like i said Yoel alumni thank you so much to vilma for that fantastic conversation i'm struck by the similarities and differences but mainly the similarities that we have it feels like doing OD, regardless of our sector, there are some common themes, which I guess shouldn't be a surprise, but often we think that our particular organisations are unique and special, and of course they are, but there's so much that we could learn from each other. So I'm really considering how I can expand my network, expand my view of the world, and spend more time outside of my own space. Yes, the similarities didn't surprise me as well. How wherever we work as OD practitioners, we are behavioural scientists and looking at our internal health of our organisation, systems and people. Also, I love the Lubina Himid images and resonating for our work in OD with the richness, variety, focus on inclusion and the pain and joy. Thanks so much for listening to this Do OD podcast. We'd love to know what you think. You can chat to us on Twitter at NHSE underline DoOD, or email your thoughts to dood at nhsemployers.org and Google NHS DoOD for all of the resources on our website. We look forward to welcoming you to our next episode.